0: Welcome to Forging Employee Experience, I'm Jocene, joined here by none other than Alvin Lenore. How are you, buddy? Doing good, Doing good. Feeling inspired today. Yesterday I had
1: the chance to go to uh, the Harvard Innovation Lab's Presidential uh, Innovation Challenge and you got, to, got to see and be inspired by all these innovative ideas that are out there. People changing the world. Um, so it's, I'm, 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 I'm ready to go. I'm ready to make a change and do something exciting. and. and do something crazy
0: I, I love it well you know what doing something exciting is what we're doing right now because we are joined it. on the show by none other than Kate Bischoff how are you Kate
2: I am good really jealous of Alexander's day yesterday but I'm pretty good
1: it was fun wish you could have been there it was great <laughs> <laughs> front row
0: seats, front row Whoa. seats. Yeah. so so listeners let me tell you a little bit about Kate on a personal level we were very excited to be able to meet her at the work human Conference. Uh, recently and we sat down and did a little interview with her an interview series with Jason Lawrence and and she was so fun within the first 30 seconds we we're like we need her on the podcast <laughs> so here she is it was
2: because I made faces at you I just made faces that was it in the first I, I did 30 screenshot
0: seconds. the tongue out and
2: I'm not sure if I send that to
0: you or not but it's it's a good one. might be the thumbnail for the podcast So <laughs> we should use that <laughs>
2: perfect perfect
0: So, let me tell you a little bit about Kate. She is an employment attorney, a speaker, and an HR consultant at Thrive Law. She is on a mission to make companies better, not just compliant. I'm really excited because Kate has such a wonderful personality. Not when I think about when I think of attorneys. Yeah, compliance lawyers, HR. But, uh, Kate, we can tell that you have a passion for HR. Tell us a little bit about how you got into this and why you're so passionate about it.
2: Well, I have a very squiggly line career. I don't, I, like many HR people, I kind of stumbled into it. Uh, I first went to law school because I am a super lawyer nerd, but I don't own a suit. So I'm not as stuffy as, you know, your reputation that you're alluding to. I'm very not that. Um, but I stumbled into it and when I was in law school, I started clerking for an employment firm and it was a plaintiff side employment firm. And so I'm sitting at a conference table in 2002, looking at two well-known prominent plaintiff's employment attorneys. And I look at them and I'm like, Do you guys still make money off of sexual harassment? It's like 2002 mm. and they laughed at me and they laughed at me because, you know, right now testosterone pays my mortgage. So I do about 70% of my work is surrounded by sexual harassment, whether it is training or workplace investigations or helping companies draft actual real-life good-to-go policies that are actually going to be meaningful. So I do a lot of that. And how you guys come into this really is that engagement piece because if employees are engaged and they like what they're doing, that they have a passion for it, that they want to come to work every day, those employees are going to actually tell us when there's harassment happening. So I try to talk to my clients about how do we make sure employees feel, whether it's psychologically safe, or they trust us enough to actually come tell us when there's a problem. Because we can't do anything about a problem if we don't know about it. And I feel like Right now, it's in this culture that we've had, we've had for years and years and years, is that we have not made it so that people feel comfortable telling us, so we have just let harassment happen because we've pretended it's not there.
0: Mm, and what, what an interesting time to be in the career that you are in. I mean, there's, there's yeah. so much happening in this space. For good, I mean, we're, we're starting to see some of these giants being toppled. So, so I wanna I want talk, talk a little bit about that because you mentioned the engaged employees. Those are the ones who are going to come and talk to you about it. So what does, in your space, what does an engaged employee look like and what, what do you hope they report to you?
2: I look at an engaged employee as someone who cares about what they're doing to both tell us when there's a problem but also when things are great, that they tell us that things are going in the direction that they want to be going in, that they are getting the development that they want to be getting. But they also tell us when, you know, I'm just having a really bad day or I'm really close to the actual manufacturing of the widget and I think we could fix things if we did it this way. Those are the employees who are engaged to me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's incredible. I love that. I I, I think this is actually probably the first definition that we've heard on employee engagement where we've seen it through this lens of you know someone's engaged if they have that open communication with with their organization and and that's that is so incredibly powerful right because i i think a lot about how do we how do we improve the workforce well we can't improve the workforce until we know what the workforce needs to improve but we but it's almost circular, right? Like if the workforce is, has a negative vibe to it, they're not going to tell you and then you can't get better. And it, it, it's, it, it's this whole thing. So getting to that place where employees give that feedback, that's, that's critical. So how do, we, how do we help employees get there so that they, they feel comfortable to provide feedback um, in, in, in any respect?
2: Well, so thank you for asking that question because I <laughs> have spent the last solid nine months of my life reading every possible book about how do we find out when things are going wrong, whether it is Dr. Edmondson, Tasha Uprey, or however you say her name. Um, (laughs) I've been reading it all. Um, And I synthesized all of that in my mind as to making sure that employees feel seen. And that is really, really hard to do. It is not going to be easy to get every employee to feel like, when they come to work, they are ready to actually give us feedback that we need to have. And, and so working to create an environment that's comfortable to do that is is essential. And I think one way that we start and how I started talking about this with my clients is that we start with middle managers and we ask them what they need to feel seen and then ask them to deploy that for their employees. And I don't think that there is necessarily a magic formula to getting there, but I would like to think that there is a shortcut um, that we can get there. And it requires the Midwestern, Midwesterner in me to really take a step back and think about questions. And I want my middle managers to ask their employees, how are you doing? And genuinely try to get that answer. Like I am having a crappy day okay, well, what about your day is crappy? How can I help you? And for me, those two questions, how are you doing and and what can I do to help you, will get at some of the bigger problems we have. It is really hard to say, hey, how you doing? And not just get a good or fine or Mm -hmm. no, things to be better. It is trying to get to the the answer that is more meaningful and it's actually a reflection of how someone actually is doing. Because it's not just what your mood is, it's how are you doing in the job, how are you doing in life, those kinds of things. Because if we get to those answers, the problems that my clients have when they come to me as an attorney, the harassment, the FMLA leave, uh, reasonable accommodation questions, we get to get that information before it's a really big problem.
0: Yeah, and it, it kind of ties back to what you were talking about, the environment and the, and the culture. Like, those questions are so basic and so important, but are we getting real answers to those, those questions? Yeah. Are we creating an environment of trust to where your manager, like, like you actually will tell them how you're feeling? When I was,
1: uh, I was working at, a, at an organization once, and the, um, I went about six months before anybody stopped and said, Alexander, are you actually always doing good? Because you always say you're doing great. But and I was, I was bored that it took like, you know, and, and I wasn't having any real problems. Like there wasn't really an, any underlying issue. Everything, everything was, was going fine. But it but it struck me as odd that it, it took six months for uh my manager to realize that, oh my gosh, Alexander always says he's doing fine. He's doing good. And and never, never driving in it and going deeper. And if, we're in, if that's how we're operating, we're, we're in a l- little bit of trouble, I think.
2: Right. And, and you know, for an employment lawyer to, to say the following is, is going to be shocking to a lot of HR people. Like, Ooh. I want you to know your employees. I want you to know if someone's wife is suffering from cancer or if someone's kid is not doing very well or if they're having car problems. I don't want you to know anything about that before you actually make the hiring decision. But after that, I do want you to know a little bit more. And I want you to be curious about the people who are are working with you. Because getting to know your people means that they feel like, oh, you really do want to know, like, more about my sorority. Or you really do want to know more about the social science stuff that's happened or social societal things that are happening to me that I'm being affected by because it will affect how I do my work and whether or not I feel like I need to be here today or if I don't need to be here today. So that is a I think a dramatic shift for a lot of HR people or the we only focus on the work. We never look outside of the actual work. There's this whole movement to bring your whole self to work. Well I want you to bring your whole self to work. Just bring your whole self to work with clothes. If you're a nudist, don't come to work nude. Okay? Just, uh, but I want you to feel like comfortable coming to work, meaning that I want you to feel like you can be you here. That doesn't mean come without clothes on. I mean, still have respectful boundaries of everyone around you. But I do want you to feel like this is a place where you can be comfortable talking about things that are hard for you at this moment in time.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you dance a lot in that space where it's, you know, you want to make companies better, not just compliance. So there's this level of compliance that needs to happen. Put your clothes on, (laughs) you know, follow the rules. do (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But but outside of those parameters, we are going to do our best to make sure that you feel like you belong, that you feel like you fit into this company.
2: Right, and I, I I will push back a little bit on you. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the word fit um, because it has been it has become a euphemism for discrimination. Like you fit into this organization if you fit the mold that we have, and I don't I don't necessarily want that to happen because I think that is a trap that we can fall into. Because the more differences we have, the better work we actually create. So. I want you to feel comfortable here, but I don't need everyone to feel like they are a perfect puzzle piece for our particular puzzle because mm-hmm. the the dynamics of a workplace, it's never, the, the puzzle is never cut the same way. It's changing every time we hire a new employee or there's a change in the product. So I want you to feel like you can contribute, but I don't want you to feel like you are a, this is the last missing piece that we've been needing for so long.
1: So, how do we find that balance right because you you're absolutely right you know organizations and we know this right with our diversity statistics organizations that are non diverse uh not inclusive they're they're not going to be as innovative they're not going to be as successful they're just not going to operate as well you know outside of compliance and, and those sorts of issues but mm-hmm. but there is of course an element of you know, teamwork, um, being able to collaborate, being able to communicate in ways that are effective. Uh, so, so how do we find that balance between saying, man, this person just is not a, a good team member for this team because of X, Y, or Z, even though they may be good at their job, um, which is different than saying, oh, they don't fit the stereotype of this team. And so we don't want them on the team. Does that, does that make sense?
2: Yeah, it does. And, and I, I hate to make my answer sound just so trite, but the answer is I want people who are remarkably respectful. And the reason I say that is because I want you to be able to come to my workplace and share ideas with me. And if I don't like your idea, I will say, I don't like your idea respectfully. And here's the reasons why I don't like that. And I want you to have the respect of me to say, thank you, for sharing that, you don't have to actually say thank you, but you don't need to walk (laughs) off in resentment. Um, I don't want you to be indignant or arrogant about that. We are trying to contribute and batting around those difficult ideas are important and we need to be respectful about that. So my base level for everyone is if, if I came in and I said, or even if I'm having a really shitty day, if I come in and I say, I really don't like that idea, you're going to say, okay, Kate, okay, I understand why you might be a little upset about that idea, but I need to know more information why. And starting from that place of respect is going to be important to me. I don't, I don't need you to, you know, wear all the same kind of shoes. I don't need you to feel like we can go to happy hour every night because we have now become buddies. I don't necessarily believe that. But if we can all respect and genuinely care about everyone's ideas, I think that's important.
1: That is so huge. And just, just to highlight, because um, I think what you just said is a, is a absolutely incredible takeaway for our listeners, um, and, and I just want to make sure that I got it right. So what I'm hearing you say is that when it comes to building teams, when it comes to making sure that um, you, you're, you're building an effective place to work with, with employees that are, that are able to work together. We, one of the the main fundamental underlying attributes that does have to be universal throughout the organization to make it effective is this idea of being respectful to each other. We don't necessarily have to agree. We don't have to look the same. We don't have to come from the same backgrounds, have the same skill sets, have the same communication styles, but we have to respect each other. And if we we can respect each other, then there's really no reason why we can't work together. Right. Is that fair?
2: That's that's fair. All right. The other thing the other thing I would like people to understand is nobody is perfect or how oh, I like Lord. to say it nobody is perfect. <laughs> and so even when we're going to have a bad day or when I'm going to be really upset because my kid poked a, a hole in my tire this morning, I get to come to work and still be a little upset, but you can still hold me to the, Kate, I understand why you're upset, but we, this is what we need to work on today and I need you not to growl at people. Right. Mm, Or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, because we're, don't, Nobody is perfect, and we can't say that you're going to be respectful all the time, but that base level of respect is going to be what we build trust upon, what we build safety upon, and that is where we start to build compliance and healthy workplaces.
0: I love it. That That is amazing. Thank you. Okay, so great. And I, I'm, I, There's so many things that I want to tease out there, like social media, and how does that play in and everything, but- <sighs> But as we continue forward, I just really want to, I'm curious because I know that you presented at Disrupt HR recently. Can you give us the cliff note versions of what you talk about? Because Disrupt HR is not your run-of-the-mill speech about HR compliance. It's how do we disrupt the space? So, and there's elements of what does the future look like of this industry? So, so give us a little bit of your, your insights there.
2: Oh, I've done disrupt three times now. Um, my first was disrupt Minneapolis, and my title was "Compliance is Sexy." Ooh, um, I love and that. that, yeah, exactly. It's supposed to be provocative. So uh, <laughs> I know I, I really, <laughs> I really believe that compliance is sexy. That when we're hearing about a new sick and safe time rule, well, the new sick and safe time rule is just enforcing the, your. PTO that we have had in the market forever, because that's a recruiting and retention issue. And so reframing what compliance issues look like in the form of this is what we would do for a business perspective anyway. And that compliance is just basically a floor and how can we improve upon the floor is how I look at it. Mm -hmm. The second one I did was about welcomeness and how I asked that every HR person stop considering whether or not conduct is welcome as to whether or not it constitutes harassment. Because I believe that in every organization, if I was holding a whole team meeting and everybody was in the room and two people stood up and started playing a vigorous game of console hockey, that would be the rumor mill for the organization for the next two to three weeks for mm-hmm. sure. And so even though the conduct was welcome between the two people, it still wasn't conduct we would condone in our workplace. And so looking at, focusing on what the conduct is, whether or not not it is welcome, I think is the key to how we can start tackling um, harassment issues in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And my last one in Denver was on weed. And my title was to pee or not to pee. And I asked everyone not to pee (laughs) because I I believe, I, I think I actually said something like, listen to Nancy Reagan and Mr. T, just say no. Uh, <laughs> because I think marijuana, because testing is so bad, because we can never tell if someone is high at this moment or not because of how THC is stored in the body. That So the testing is bad. There are 55 million Americans who have tried or use weed once or twice in the last year and 35 million who've done it once or twice in the last month and so as we're looking at unemployment rates in the 2.7 to 3.5% in large swashes of the country, you can't afford to keep those people outside of your talent pool and so if we're keeping them out because we're doing testing, I think that that's a bad idea. I still want you to test if you need to test for things like cocaine and heroin. But when it comes to marijuana, I think the public perception of marijuana has changed so dramatically in the last five to 10 years that we're getting to a point where we need to treat marijuana. Like we treat alcohol, where when we see someone who is slurring their words or stumbling or is got you know, behaviors like Cheech and Chong that we deal with it as a behavior issue and not, well, we should go test for that. Mm. Interesting. And I have... A- I have a fancy t-shirt that says HR for Snoop Dogg. So uh, I I get a
0: copy of that shirt. That'd be great. (laughs) We need to put Martha Stewart on the back too.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, I think that the idea for the shirt came up because Martha Stewart is, is one of the keynoters at Sherm National this year. And I'm like, why can't we listen to Snoop Dogg? So
0: (laughs) they're a package deal now.
2: Right, right, right.
0: Well, great. I mean, this is, this has been so great. And, and as we start to wrap up here, I, I just want to highlight one of the things that you said in the interview that you did with Jason Lawrence. And he kind of asked, what is, what is the thing that you would eradicate the the mentality that you would eradicate from organizations and your, your response was very unique. You said the, the notion that complaints are bad. A lot of times we think when, when we receive complaints, that, that means that, it becomes personal, or the organization is bad, or that individual just complains. But you've reframed it in such a different way. So so tell us a little bit more about, about your thoughts there.
2: Sure. So there was a Harvard Business Review article, I want to say within the last six months for sure, but it talked about how when companies are alerted to concerns, employee concerns, whether it is through a hotline or through reports to management or to human resources, You, the more complaints you get, the more likely you are to actually act on those. And the more complaints, the less likely you are to have problems in your workplace. And so I look at HR and I say, you know, have you been receiving any concerns about whether it's harassment or whatever the big compliance issues are are out there? They're like, oh yeah, we've never gotten any of those. And I'm like, uh, are you sure? You know, Mm. have you asked people? Because the more we know about it, the better we can be. And the part of the article for Harvard Business Review was that These are good things for us, and I truly believe that they are good things for us because if people feel comfortable enough to raise an issue with me, I can address it. And so I want people to feel comfortable coming to me. I think we in human resources have a horrible reputation, but that's because the HR is like the CIA. When we do good work and we stop problems, you never hear about it. When we screw up and it makes headlines, we have a reputation of all of us have screwed up, and I think that's harmful to us. So we should encourage people to bring us things and then celebrate when we get those concerns. And similar to the cybersecurity concerns that we have now, right? If somebody tells me that they got a weird email from their aunt about a oatmeal cookie recipe that turned out to be a virus, I want that person to come to IT and tell me that they did that. Um, So it's similar. I want people to come tell me when there's a problem because I can help them at that point.
1: And and, and it takes a... a, a a intentional strategy at an organization to, to make sure that that is the vibe and the feel of the workplace so that, that folks don't. Cause I, I, I love that example. Like if I clicked on that link, I would for sure not tell anybody Because <laughs> I would be <laughs> why wouldn't right. just be so scared that like, Oh, they're going to take away my laptop or they're gonna make me buy a new one. Or, mm. you know, and I already feel right. dumb enough that I downloaded a virus like that in and of itself that I have to live with that <laughs> is punishment enough. Like,
0: mm-hmm. uh, yeah,
1: I, I don't need them to make me feel, I wouldn't need someone to make me feel worse. Um, so so my, my my last question here is is how do you balance because some folks are you know I, I think some folks just don't maybe either feel comfortable not not feel comfortable but there are some people that are just less likely to say things or or to bring things up how how is how how can a company help you know there there's only so far a company can go potentially i think and this is my question to making it so everyone feels like they can come forward. But even, even if a company has done everything they can, I still feel like there will be individuals who because of potentially their personalities or just the way that they communicate, they may not want to come forward or they may not want to give feedback. Is that, how do we capture those folks as well to help, help make sure we're getting their voice um, without obviously going you know overboard, if that makes sense?
2: That's a great question. Um, and I would say this, we cannot have one method of people telling us there are problems because we know that we all communicate in different ways. And so if we have a hotline and we direct everybody to that hotline, well, people aren't not everybody's gonna feel comfortable talking to a machine or talking to someone right. in a different state about the problem. However, they might talk to a manager, they might talk to a coworker, they might talk to HR they might send a text message. And so making sure that we have as many possible avenues open for whoever feels that that avenue might work for them is the way we should embrace this. Um, For example, recently Google opened a new kind of here, give us all of your complaints this way. And my response to that is great. I'm so happy that you're finding different avenues to give us those complaints, but make sure that you have all the other ways open because I'm not going to speak up in a big group setting about how I think I'm being harassed, but I might in a one-on-one, I might send it via email. And so encouraging all of that kind of communication is what I would hope organizations are doing. Because if you do have as many multiple ways to communicate as possible, then you are going to capture more of those employees who might be reluctant to do X, Y, Z, but they're really excited to do R, or they're more willing to do M. So, that's what I'm trying to get my clients to embrace and get excited about because that sometimes can be really hard to track because you're, everything's coming in at you in different ways. But embracing that, getting ready for that kind of challenge, and then setting up practices to how to deal with those coming in in all the different channels is what I would hope.
0: Mm, that's, that's great advice. And, and my follow-up question is just what what, are you, what is your take on anonymous reporting? um cuz you know that, that that is also another another way that people can reach out is like i don't feel comfortable attaching my name to it but a lot of companies are running yeah. the idea of like you know as long as i'm anonymous i can say and do what i want I, i'm just curious quickly what your your thoughts would be on that
2: okay so i gave a really deep heavy sigh when you started asking about it so everyone, like we please all heard note it. The <laughs> sigh <laughs> please note it um while I liked the intention that if somebody feels like they should they can't they don't want to share their name, they can't share their name, but they still want to report it, I applaud that person for wanting to do that. However, there is no such thing as an anonymous report because I can't do anything with my boss harasses me. I'm going to need more information so that I can help make it stop and in HR we have that obligation to go find out that information. So, we are we we'll try to keep it as confidential as possible, but we cannot keep it anonymous. And so if you throw a note underneath my office door saying that there is harassment in the marketing department, I have to then bring everybody in from the marketing department to ask questions to make it stop. And so I think if a company labels their reporting structure as you can do this anonymously, that is a misnomer, or at least it's a little bit of false pretense, because I can't keep it anonymous. I need to figure out and make it stop. That's my obligation under the law. And so I wish we we wouldn't label it anonymous, because I think that gives a false sense of security to the people who are actually reporting to us. And that suggests to me that we haven't built the trust with employees, that they don't feel comfortable coming to us, and telling us
0: more about it. That is an awesome perspective. And and we thank you so much for being on the show and sharing with us today some of your wonderful insights. What's the best way that our listeners can contact you?
2: Oh, there's lots of different ways. Uh, I'm a huge Twitter user, so you can find me on Twitter. My blog is Thrive Law Consulting, and there's even a talk to Kate section right there on the blog. Um, So there's lots of different ways. I feel like I'm everywhere.
0: Great. Well, doesn't sound like it would be hard to find you. Uh and listeners if you have any complaints, Kate would love to hear them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Kate, I got, I
0: got some complaints I got to talk about. Um
1: <laughs> got a lot of problems. <laughs> Uh, no, but see, see, hey, thank you. Hey, thank you so much for the work that you do. It, it really is a very important work, and it's um, it's largely because of folks like you that we're seeing. I, I like to think we're seeing a a, a positive trend. We still got a long way to go. Still got a lot of work to do, but I think as a whole, we're moving we're moving in the right direction. Um, so thank you, thank you for helping with part of, part of that change to help help to the workplace to a safe place for Thank you so
2: much. I'm raising two boys, right. and so I'm hoping that I'm leaving their world just a little bit better for them. So.